Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is Anthony Iani, author of Centered, Autism, Basketball, and One Athlete's Dreams. Anthony is the first player in NCAA history to play basketball with autism. He played at Michigan State under Coach Tom Izzo, made a Final Four, won multiple Big Ten championships. And here I am over here with the Miami Hurricanes, my alma mater, making the Sweet 16 like twice. And that's it. Love the Kansas, but Michigan State definitely has much more basketball success, including beating Miami in the NCAA tournament a few years back. But that's okay. We're not letting that. There's not really a rivalry there, so we're not letting it get to us. Anthony's got so many great stories to chat about. His book writing process, how he grew up, learned that he had autism, promised that he was going to play basketball, all the things that he's done along the way. We're talking about all of it. We're talking book marketing tips. We're talking about Space Jam 1 versus Space Jam A New Legacy. There's lots going on here. Even if you're not a basketball fan, you'll find plenty to enjoy. And if you are a basketball fan, whoo, we got a good one in store for you. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can reach out joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. You can also follow the show at GPCT Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And if you're real friendly, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, preferably five stars, but you know what? You do you. Saying how much you love the show, because that helps more people hear it. You can also just yell at people. Hey, listen to this podcast as well. But sometimes people don't respond nicely to yelling, so I get it. And with that, let's hop into the conversation with Anthony. For people who don't know who you are, can you give us your elevator pitch? And can you also tell us the type of elevator that you're riding on? Oh, man. Type of elevator? <laughs> oh, man. So for me, the type of elevator I think for me would be just like like a golden elevator with a lot of room like wide and height because for people who don't know me um i'm six foot nine and so i'm a very tall ind- individual so i need to have like you know tall ceilings and like you know wide areas so i can like fit in places so definitely a tall golden elevator and then it shoots out you know of the hotel or factory or whatever like willy wonka it just like goes all over the place so that's that's definitely my tech elevator <laughs> So besides you being six nine, what else should we know about you? Um, so, well, first of all, um, you know, I'm a national motivational speaker and a national um, autism and anti-bullying advocate. Um, I've been on the speaking circuit now for the last, uh, oh, geez, it'll be nine years this fall, which is crazy how, how fast time flies. Um, and I'm also the first Division One college basketball player in NCAA history with autism. Um, kind of how my story goes. Um, I was diagnosed uh, with PDD NOS when I was four years old. And that was kind of during a time period, Joey, where nobody really knew what autism was. Um, nobody knew a lot of the characteristics for it. There was no awareness for it. And there was definitely no resources, guidance, and pathways to help families and individuals who were impacted by it during that time. Um, and then a year later, when I was five years old, a group of doctors and professionals told my family that because I have autism, I would barely succeed or achieve anything in life. They told my family that I would barely graduate from high school, never go to college, never be an athlete. And I would likely likely end up at a group institution with other autistic individuals like myself for the rest of my life. Uh, I wasn't told the story to my freshman year of high school. So that was kind of like my motivation to go out and prove those people and any other doubters and naysayers that have my life wrong. I had to work hard at everything, everything from basketball to my social life um, in school, especially because I wasn't the smartest kid around. Um, but I had a lot of support from family, friends, coaches, teammates. 
um, just everybody. And so I went on to graduate from Oklahoma High School in 2007, uh, went on to Grand Valley State University for two years on a full scholarship for basketball after that. Things didn't quite work out for me there. So I ended up going to Michigan State University where I lived, my, lived the ultimate dream of not only going to my dream school, but also playing for you know a, a guy, a coach I've always wanted to play under, and that was Tom Izzo. Um, I was a walk-on for two years, was put on full scholarship my senior year, was part of a couple of Big Ten championship teams, a team that won a Big Ten tournament title, a team that went to a Final Four, got to play with a great group of guys that I'm proud to call my brothers. Um, so and I graduated with a degree in sociology from Michigan State, something that people thought I'd never be able to do. So, so yeah, that's, that's definitely me in a heartbeat. <laughs> so basically you just told the naysayers, no, no, no. We're going to put you down. <laughs> that was the thing. And that's kind of how it's been. Like, I guess you could say that's kind of how it's been my whole life because, you know, I've always gone through life with a chip on my shoulder. You know, at the same time, it's a blessing and a curse. I say it's a blessing because if there are still people out there to this day that doubt my abilities as an advocate, as a motivational speaker, even as a husband and a father. Like, you know, I always thrive of, okay, well, watch me. I'm going to do this today. I'm going to do that. Um, but also at the same time, like I say, it's a curse because I don't really need it anymore because I've done everything I need to do and more, but there's still work to be done as an advocate and as a motivational speaker. And I still got goals and dreams that I want to pursue and live, but you know, there's nothing wrong with having that chip on your shoulder. And so, you know, when I was in high school or middle school, if somebody said, oh, you can't do this. I would always look at that person and go, all right, you know, you know, you bet against me because chances are you're going to lose and I'm going to prove you wrong. So, but, you know, I loved it. I thrived off it. And, I, and still to this day, you know, I still get a good feeling off of it too. Do I have this right? I think I read this somewhere that you as a child told Coach Izzo that you were going to play for Michigan State one day. I did. And then you ended up doing it. Did he remember you? Was he like, oh, you were the kid that oh, yeah. <laughs> said, I'm going to play for you. All right, nice. nice. Oh, yeah. So I, I've known Coach Izzo, you know, for, oh, geez, now for, for 24 years. So I first met him when I was eight years old. And I got to meet him because my father was an athletic administrator um, in Michigan State. And my dad retired from athletic administrative work in 2019. So he was at University of Virginia for a couple of years, went to Ohio University for 10 years, and was at Michigan State for 26. So he was around NCAA athletics for almost 40 years. Um, so I was around football players, basketball players, you know, you name the team at Michigan State, I was probably around it because, you know, my dad got to do a lot of event management work at Michigan State and be at a lot of those events and games. Um, so after a lot of the home games for Michigan State basketball, he would take me down to the locker room, take me on the court, because um, I always thought that was really pretty cool at that age. You get, get to go down to the court. I couldn't shoot. You know, that was just that was just a rule after games, which I understood. But anytime you got to go on to the court and just, you know, look around and see, you know, 15,000 empty seats, it was really cool. And so he just took me in the locker room and, you know, Coach Izzo was on his uh, uh, postgame radio show at the time. And. I sat on a couch and, you know, after he got done with the show, him and, dad, him and my dad started talking a little bit and um, he looked at me and said, oh, who's this? My dad introduced me and uh, we started talking and he said, you know, what do you want to do when you get older? I said, well, I want to play Michigan State basketball. I want to play for you. I said this when I was eight years old. And <laughs> at that time, I was serious. And, you know, I was dead serious about playing for him, even as an eight year old. And I think at the time, you know, I, I think coaches are probably thought, oh, you know, no, that's cool. This is an eight-year-old kid that has dreams of playing for Michigan State. But I really don't think he actually saw it like come to fruition until I started, you know, getting recruited by a lot of these schools when I was in high school, Michigan State included. But, you know, he's known me for a long time. But I think when he saw me growing up as a kid and just seeing how hard I worked in the sport of basketball, 
I think he really took notice. And, you know, even, even though when they were recruiting me, they didn't offer me a full ride scholarship. They offered me a preferred walk-on spot. Even though I didn't take it, like he, he actually suggested to me that I take the full ride offer to Grand Valley state because I mean, it's a full ride offer. Everything is taken care of, you know, your school's taken care of everything. And he said, where if I went to Michigan state as a walk-on right off the bat, he wasn't sure if I was going to be on a scholarship. So he, he definitely, you know, encouraged me to get, take that full ride. And, but the one thing he said to me was, but just know that if things don't work out for you at Grand Valley State, just know that you have a locker and a jersey here waiting for it if you if you ever want it. And even when I transferred from Grand Valley State, that offer still held. And so, but you know, for for me to say that at eight years old and for and for it to come true like twelve years later, I mean, nobody saw that coming. Maybe except for me because I always imagined it, I was dreaming of it. But I don't think anybody else, you know, around me, you know, or even some folks in my family even imagined that that was even going to be reality. That's so cool. And I mean, maybe this is your answer to this question, but as a fellow basketball player, we always have the moments yep. that we think with, like they come back to us. We're like that. I can like replay every single thing that's <laughs> going on in there. So do you have a favorite basketball moment? Oh man. Um, actually I do, but it's not actually a moment. It's like multiple moments, if you will, because you know, you're a part of, you're a part of rivals, you know, in any sport, whether it's football, basketball. And when I was in high school, we played a, we played a, so, I, so I'm from Okemos, Michigan, which is right next to Michigan state, literally like a five, eight minute drive. You know, my high school is right next door to campus. Um, but when I was in high school, we played a, a, a team called Holt, the Holt high school Rams. And at the time we were both, you know, top five in the entire state. And we sold out all three games. So the first time we played at Holt, which holds their gym, holds 4,000 people. And the game was sold out at 3.30. The freshmen played in front of a sold out crowd. And as we got there, people started banging on our bus. And, at, and for a minute, I was like, oh, my oh my God, we're being taken over by Holt High School here. But then when we looked out our windows, it was some of our students who were tailgating in the parking lot, 20 degree weather. <laughs> you know, just, you know, charcoal and, you know, burgers, hot dogs, brats, like guys bought two kegs of root beer and it was root beer because the police officers checked it themselves. And <laughs> we walked into the gym and how Holt's gym is set up is there's an indoor track that's around the, the court, but on one side of the gym, it's the visiting side. And then the other side is the home section. And we walked in on the visiting side, our side went nuts. And then you walk to the other side and then we're getting booed out of the building. You know, I, I, I kid you not. I had a, I don't know if he was in his early, late fifties or mid sixties, but he, th- this old man was flipping me off in the crowd. I'm like, dude, like I'm 17 years old doing that right now. Like, but just that rivalry and us selling out, not just that game, but then we sold out our game, you know, and we had standing room only to the point where they actually broadcasted the game on live television. If you if you couldn't get into the game, you can go to a sports bar and watch the game. And then we played a third time for the region in the regional uh, semifinals. And we played at a place called Don Johnson Fieldhouse, which is in downtown Lansing. Seats about six thousand people. We sold that. We sold it out three hours for tip off. And so just just those moments right there. It really makes me think about how. Those were really once in a lifetime moments because now Okemos Holt's not even a rival. And whenever I go back to the high, my old high school and talk to the uh, the current players about that rivalry we had, they would all look at me and go, "Wait, you you and Holt were rivals, not you and East Lansing High School." I'm like, "Yeah, like," and they were like, "Yeah, like that's not us, man. Like it's East Lansing for us." I'm like, I said when we played East Lansing, we beat them up so bad it wasn't even a rivalry. So, um, 
but just living those moments, man, and just being a part of just incredible rivalries, not just with Holt, but, you know, even the rival, you know, we had against Michigan, Ohio State when I played. Like, those were moments, man, that, you know, will always stand out to me. It's so wild to to think of like how intense of a rivalry it was, and now it's just like oh, I know, <laughs> I know. Whereas the Michigan State or Michigan rivalry will always be, mm-hmm. even as a former player, like I don't play anymore. Like it still means something to me because you know I have friends who went to Michigan, I have friends who played at Michigan as well, I have family members who grew from Michigan. So for me, it's always personal. And my wife is always joking me like, "Why is it so personal, you know, to you?" I'm like, "Well, when you live the rivalry, when you played it, like it's personal, like." you know, you, you kind of have to be a part of that rival to understand. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I thought, like you said, it is funny how like 15 years ago, it was the hottest rivalry, not just in our area, but throughout the entire state. And then fast forward 15 years later, it's, I get students telling me, no, like Holt's not even our rival. It's like this school. I'm like, like, man, you guys really missed out on the good days. <laughs> Oh man, that yeah, they they didn't know how how good it was. No, it was awesome, yeah, man. <laughs> good deal. Now you've chronicled I uh, really your life and your your whole experience of growing up with autism, playing basketball into a book called Centered Autism Basketball and One Athlete's Dreams. Why is now the right time for this book to be coming out, which drops September 7th, do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy because my agent when we first signed with um Indiana U- University Press, um you know, last year, last summer in June, 2020, um, you know, I was on the phone with my agent, Joe Perry of Perry Literary Agency. And he was just like, you know, just wait, you know, cause before you know it, within a snap of a finger, you're going to be doing, you know, a bunch of press release, you know, media stuff. You're going to be like doing a bunch of podcasts with people. You're going to be out on the road, you know, promoting the book, doing events. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm thinking, okay, you know, the, the way, the way 2020 has gone, it, it's going to go by super slow. No, he wasn't kidding. The fact that we're, you know, less than three weeks out from doing from this, I mean, it's crazy. But, you know, the answer to your question, why now? You know, why not? Because, you know, th- this was something that I had talked about doing for a long, long time. Even, I, even after I graduated from college nine years ago, I always had those conversations with my mom and my dad about, you know, doing more with my story than just going out to schools and conferences and events like I do now as a speaker and advocate and talking about it. And I also had a lot of people in my ear. And this is where I, I got to thank uh, school administrators that I worked with. They've all, they were always in my, in my ear every year just saying, you know, you need to do this. You need to write, the, you need to write a book. You need to put, put your entire story into one giant book. And, and somebody brought up a good point to me, um, Joey. And that was somebody said to me, whenever you go and speak to conferences and schools, you only maybe talk about one, a quarter of your life story. They don't know the entire gist of it. And that's when I started thinking, I was like, you know what? I, I inspire a lot of group of kids out there in the country and around the state of Michigan. I said, but you know what? They've only heard a little bit of my life story. So maybe I can inspire them even more if they read the entire, you know, gist of my life. And, and there's so many things that, you know, I don't want to get into too much details about, it, but there are so many things that I put in that book that I feel like can help families and students who, and educators who are impacted by somebody with autism. So, for example, me and my co-author, Rob Keese, who did an incredible job, you know, helping me write the book, um, we put some of my IEP, my individualized education plan evaluations in there. And there's a lot of personal stuff in those evaluation plans that I looked at at first. And I was like, and I said, Rob, I, I don't know about this. Like, a lot of the stuff is too personal to me. Like, I don't know if I should if we should put this in there. And Rob said to me, he said, don't think about don't think of it as, you know 
don't think of it as, you know, what's best for you. Think of it as what's going to be best for the readers who are impacted by autism that see this, how you are evaluated and what you were like as a first grader compared to where you're at now. The point is, is to give these families, educators and individuals hope. That's what these are going to provide. And the more and more I kept reading it, the more and more I kept reviewing, I was like, you know what, he's right. And so, you know, I'm just super excited to be able for everybody to read, you know, not just about my life story, but to also be more educated on what the autism spectrum is and what autism is in general, because we're still like, you know, we're still trying to bring more awareness and um, awareness, advocacy work and, you know, acceptance for the autism community. And I'm hoping that's what um, this book will provide. Um, but I, I also had somebody else say to me, you know, launching a book could really launch your career to bigger heights that you've never seen. And so I'm not saying that's why I did it because, you know, I, I had a lot of people say, you know, the process will be fun. It's been a lot of fun doing it. Um, but I'm really excited to see, you know, where this could take me from a career standpoint and as well as what it could do for others in the community as well. Let's talk about that process a little bit. Cause I think that's, always, uh, obviously it varies from book yeah. to book of, of the writing process and working with a co-author as well mm-hmm. uh, adds another element to it where you're able to kind of bounce ideas off each other like that. So take us into your writing process. Based on your speaking, did you already have kind of like an outline of what you wanted to do or, or was it kind of starting just with everything that was in your head and trying to get it down? I didn't. So what, so basically what happened was, um, so I was working with another individual um, named Chris Solari, who works for Detroit Free Press, and he covers Michigan State football and basketball. He's their beat writer. And so Chris and I talked about doing the project at first, and then he got hired as the head beat writer and his schedule didn't have enough time for it. And so, but Rob was helping us edit, you know, just kind of look over things. And so Rob, believe it or not, and I hope this makes sense, he is my resource room teacher's husband's cousin. So it's my resource room teacher's husband's cousin. And so that's how the connection was made. And so Rob and I got together over dinner and we just sat down and we just started talking and I told him what my vision was. I said, I want to put, you know, I want to put my entire life story in print. I want to put it all out there. I want even the smallest details. I want it in there. And he had never written a book before, but he graduated from journalism school at Michigan State University. So we had that Michigan State connection. But he had a lot of friends, you know, in the writing field who are authors and they worked with him and gave him advice. And so Rob and I just sat down and we did like four or five interviews in the span of a month. And, you know, he asked me all these great questions. You know, he wanted me, like I said, he wanted me to give me him every smallest detail possible to throw it in the book. And what he did was he tried to make it like movie like. So if I was describing like what kind of table I worked at um, in first grade, you know, I, I described like the shape of the table and the color of the table, because that's what, that's what he wanted was like a movie like description of everything in the book. And so, um, so he did an incredible job and just for, for us to be able to communicate one-on-one and be able to, you know, bounce ideas off each other and be able to be like, okay, this looks good. Let's put this in here. Hey, what do you think about this? Nah, I don't know. Let's leave that out. And we weren't afraid to, to post each other up on some things. If there was something he didn't like that I said, he would say, Hey, let's, let's not do that. If there was something I didn't like in the book, you'd be like, okay, not a big deal. And so, um, but the fact that our communication with each other and, and we, we had that same vision too, of we want this to be not just the best autism book out there, but we want this to be the best book out there, period. And the goal for us, I mean, the goal for every author is you want it to be a bestseller. Like that's always, you know, the goal, but for Rob and me, I think our main goal was, you know, to make sure that we create a book that's both educational and both exciting because, you know, in a lot of ways, some people, 
some folks have compared my story to Rudy, you know, the great, you know, the great story of um, Rudy, uh, uh, Rudy, Rudy Rudinger from Notre Dame and the movie Rudy. And so, and Rob was like, all right, we want this to be the next generation's Rudy. That's what we want. And so, and we just, and we just did it, man. I think the toughest part of the process though was, was trying to stay patient. That was the most difficult process because after we had finished it, we, it took us about, took us four months to write it from, May till about early, mid-September, fall 2018. And then the toughest part was sending it to literary agents who would look at it, see if it would fit with them, and then trying to go through that process of finding a publisher. That was hard because I'm not the, I'm not the most patient person in the world. But then again, who is, right? Um, but I would just keep checking my phone every five minutes, refresh, 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 to the point where my wife just said to me, you need to stop. You know, you need to trust the process. It's going to happen. Like you're going to get an email from somebody. You're going to get a phone call from a literary agent, whoever it is. And they're going to look at this and go, yeah, I want this. I want to represent this. And so, so after just avoiding my emails as much as possible, um, we finally found Joe Perry on Google and, you know, we saw what he was all about and it wasn't even an hour after we sent our, uh, our proposal to him and he got back to us right away. And, you know, without him, without his, without his guidance, without his positivity, without his words of encouragement, honestly, like, I don't really know how I would have made it through the process. And there's still so, there's still so many more things we want to do with this thing and beyond, but, you know, knowing that I, I didn't just get an agent from Joe, I got a friend in the process and, you know, same with Rob, like I didn't just get a co-author, like I got a friend, I, I got a friendship out of the deal. And so I think that's, what's been great with this process is I didn't just get guys who were in it, you know, for money or in it for fame. Like I got it. I got guys who had the same vision as me and I ended up getting two incredible friendships out of the deal as well. Yeah. It is really amazing what all goes into a book that mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't, uh, understand yeah. in terms of like they're like oh yeah it's just the writing part of it and it's like no, no there's there's, there's way lot. more yeah. than that and like <laughs> I have a, a lot of friends of mine who are like oh well when's it gonna be out like it, like after I got done writing it they were like oh you know you're gonna you're gonna put it out this before Christmas Christmas I'm like no like I, <laughs> I still gotta find an agent and then we gotta find a publisher and then they'll go through another process and so but it all happened just so quickly like looking back on it like for as long as a process I thought it was it really did go by fast. And so, but again, it's just like you said, there's more than just writing a book and then saying, Oh, here you go, go put it on amazon.com and see what happens. Like, no, there's more to the process. And so, but again, it taught me, it taught me to try to be a little bit more patient. And it also taught me, or um, it also taught me to trust the process as well. You know, just not, not just the book process, but any process and to be patient with what the process we bring. For sure. And one other element of, book writing that I hope everyone that is an author or writer is taking seriously is the cover. Yes. Because, I mean, think of how many different places you can see books. Yeah. In many cases, they're next to other books, mm-hmm. whether it's a bookstore, online, things like that. So having a cover that stands out is certainly uh, probably even more important in our, our COVID age now where yeah. people are just scrolling digitally. And uh, your cover, I think, very nicely encapsulates what the book is about. It's you hanging out on a basketball court in your your comfort environment. It's very clear what you know what people can expect from it. Was that something that you always had? You're like, I want to be on the cover, or did that just kind of evolve over time? It, it it just evolved over time because I really didn't think about oh, 
you know, I want to be on the cover. Like, I want to do this. Like, no, I, di I didn't think about that at all. And obviously, you know, IU Press, you know, they wanted my opinion on it. And I told them what I wanted to see. And uh, but there was no, no words to them of, oh, yeah, I want to be on the cover. I, I had no idea what to expect. I just kind of told them what I was hoping I would get. And they were going through some photos and the photo that you saw on the cover, you know, was from a photo shoot I did with um, Michigan Department of Civil Rights, who I currently work for. It was to promote the Relentless Tour, um, which is my anti-bullying initiative I do nationwide now. And it was to promote the Relentless Tour. But IU Press looked at it and said, we really like this because this is you standing in, in your safe zone, which the gym was always my, it was my safe zone and my happy place. The gym was always a place for me to get away from everything. So, you know, one of the things about being on the spectrum is that you know, growing up, I, and still this day, I had a tough time understanding nouns, verbs, idioms, sarcasm, and jokes. And, you know, and I have a lot of high stress and high anxiety levels on a few things. And so whenever those things would just creep up to a level I couldn't control, I would grab my mom's car keys and go to the gym at my, my high school gym for like two hours and just shoot. Because that was my way of just getting away from everything and helping me calm down and realize that, you know what? You focus on shooting, putting that ball in the hoop. You focus on your free throws and your jump shots. Um, so then it helped call me. But after they sent me that, that cover photo, I was like, yeah, in a way, like me being in the gym, first of all, in the arena that I, that I dreamt of playing for since I was eight years old. And then second of all, for it to be the safe place, one of the safe, many safe places that I had growing up, I was like, it fits perfectly. And so I, I was very... I was very satisfied with how it turned out. And, um, and again, like you said, it stands out. And like you said, you want a cover that stands out. And I think that's exactly what, what you know, IU Press had in mind. And they did a heck of a job with it. Now you've mentioned a couple of times that you are also do speaking. Mm -hmm. you're, you're traveling across the country to speak to people. So we've got a couple questions. What can people expect from a speech? But also, obviously, in pandemic times, you're probably not traveling nearly as much right. doing more kind of virtual things. But when you are traveling... What is your go-to item that you have to bring? <laughs> well, the, to answer your first question, you know, what people can expect from a speech is they can expect a guy who's very high energetic and who brings a message that hits home to a lot of people, you know? So one of my main messages from an anti-bullying standpoint is be careful what you say and do to others because you never know who that person will be like in the future. And going out and not just being the change, but going out and make that change. And especially to the students, the one thing that I think that separates me, Joey, from any other anti-bullying speaker is, you know, I'm real with these students. Like, I don't BS them. Like, I talk to them, you know, like they're adults. Unless it's the elementary school age, and I try to talk down to them a little bit, uh, talk down to their age a little bit. Um, but as far as like middle school and high school, like, I don't BS them. Like, everything that I tell them is from my heart. Like, I don't use PowerPoints. I don't do any of that stuff because one of the things I got from students is that they're not big in that stuff. Like they want to hear the real stories, which is what I bring to the table. And so, um, but yeah, like they're, they're going to get a guy who wants to bring as much positive energy and much inspiration as possible. And I got one goal and that's to go out and inspire one person, like to inspire one person, even if that's all it takes is one. Cause that's all it takes in life is just inspiring one person. That's always been my goal to make an impact, leave an impact. Even it's just not one person. Because so if I inspire one person at, at, at any school or any conference I go to, then my job is done. Um, and then the other presentation I have is transition, transitioning life with autism. So that's about my life, how I transition from elementary, middle school, high school, college to where I'm at today. Um, but they're going to get a guy who's very high energy, who wants to inspire a lot of people and who's going to bring his A game. The one item that I have to have with me 
Oh man. Um, I think for me, and I'm not wearing it now cause it's, it's, it's in my, um, it's in my drawer upstairs, but I have a, I have a chain, um, with my, with my kids' names on it. And that's the one thing I always have to wear. And, you know, because it reminds me that I'm not just, I'm not just an autism advocate. I'm not just a motivational speaker, but I'm also a husband and a father as well. And wearing that chain underneath my shirt is number one. It tells me, it reminds me that I'm a father, but it also reminds me that same time that, you know, I'm more than just, than just a motivational speaker. I'm more than just a former basketball player. Like I'm a parent and, you know, and having my kids on my mind, like 24 hours, seven days a week, there's nothing wrong with that either. Nice. Yeah. That's a fantastic uh, thing to, to bring with you. And, and yeah, if you're across the country, to, yeah. <laughs> to just look down at that and be like, all right, I, this is good. This is good. Now you just, just from chatting with you for a little bit and seeing, I, you know, some of, some of your videos from the past, like you're very comfortable speaking in front of mm-hmm. a group of people. Not, not everyone. I'll, I'll put the old Jerry <laughs> Seinfeld joke of, I, where it's like death is the number two fear and public speaking is the number one fear. <laughs> so if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. Now, still, even in our virtual times, people have some tenuousness with public speaking, even if they're in an office setting or something where it's just presenting to their colleagues or anything like that. So for people that maybe aren't as comfortable on a stage or in front of a group of people, do you have kind of a go-to tip or piece of advice? So the one thing I've always told people is to, well, obviously, number one, practice your speech before you do it. Um, And number two, speak slowly. Because, you know, I I help coach um, girls high school ball here in Livonia at Churchill High School. And, you know, a lot of our girls, like, practice their speeches for, like, you know, for senior night or speech class. And they always come to me because they, you know, I'm, I'm always on the circuit speaking. And they always, and they go right through their speech, like, 100 miles an hour. And the one thing I always say, I love the speech, but slow down just a little bit because you don't want all, you don't want to get all your words out there so quickly that people can't understand you. And so, so I've always told people, you know, slow down. And and I think most of all is that just be yourself, you know, don't go up there trying to prove to the world that, Oh yeah, I can do public speaking, this and that. No, like just be yourself and be who you are. Because I think that's the one thing that a lot of people respect about a lot of speakers is that they're just being themselves. And I think that's the, the reason why I've won over so many Um, not just, you know, middle school, high school and elementary audiences around the country, but that's why I've won a lot of, you know, respect, you know, from people in the conference and and events world, because I just, I just go out there and be me. I I don't want to, you know, try and be something that I'm not. And, you know, because I was always taught that from my parents is just to be yourself. And so that's always going to be, you know, one of my biggest advices to people who are in public speaking is just go out, be yourself. And, you know, you're going to get some backlash. And I think this is one thing, Joey, that I learned right away is that, you know, my goal early on, like maybe a year in my career was, oh, yeah, go inspire everybody. I, well, I soon came to realize that you're not going to inspire everybody. You're not going to always please a lot of people because there are going to be some folks out there who don't like what you do, who don't like what you say. You know, that's that's the world we live in, because everybody in the world today has an opinion. And, you know, I, I tell kids all the time, I respect everybody's opinion, you know, because that's just who I am. But are there some opinions that are wrong? Yeah, absolutely. But you're not going to tell that person straight up because you don't want to convey your fights. Like I do that with my friends all the time, man. Like, you know, if, if one of my friends, I'll, I'll use sports as a good example. If one of my friends say, oh, yeah, Le- LeBron is the greatest of all time. I'll be like, you know, I respect your opinion, but no, Michael's the greatest of all time. And then, <laughs> then it gets into a debate and argument, which I try to avoid so much. But, um, you know, just being yourself and just knowing that 
you know, as long as you feel like you're doing good at what you do, as long as you feel like you did a good job, but other people, you know, don't feel that way. You know what? Don't worry about other people's thoughts and opinions because in life, only one person's thoughts and opinions are in your life matter the most. And that's yours. So be yourself and just worry about you and don't worry about the naysayers or what anybody else says or thinks. Love it. And now for your Michael and LeBron argument, you can point to the Space Jams as well. It's not even close. Space Jam one not even close. significantly better. <laughs> now, apparently my, my kids watched it, you know, when it came out on HBO Max and I haven't seen it, nor do I want it. Oh. You know, because oh. I, I'm I'm the original, you know, through thick and thin. Because, you know, I've seen the previews and I'm like, oh, like Michael, it was perfect because Michael was in retirement. The Looney Tunes brought him out of retirement and you had guys like Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley lose their, it was just so cool. It's just so cool. And then my wife came up to me. And I said, Oh, how's the movie? She goes, yeah, it's not that good. I was like, I figure cause it's not the original. It's not the original. And so, but yeah, I mean, space jam one all day. It's not even close. And they had one of the greatest movie soundtracks of all time too. Yeah. That's the, that's the other element that immediately jumped out at me. It's like, I couldn't tell you a single song no, from space jam. No, too. I was just like, I mean, I remember music being in there, but it was always just kind of like the way the way the Space Jam One integrates the music yeah. is so much better than it. Um, and also, Space Jam Two, two hours long. Yeah, it's too that's, long for that type of movie. That, that's too long, man. And like, I felt like the Looney Tunes weren't like the original Looney Tune cartoons, like from an animated standpoint. Whereas Space Jam in the mid '90s, like that was what cartoons looked like back. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of AI and tech yeah. sort of things in this new one, which I mean, for the kids who are into it, sure, but not nah, it's not. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> now you also have your own podcast, mm-hmm. the Centered Podcast. Was that something that you also always wanted to do, or did it kind of become after you had written the book, you're like, hey, we can keep talking about this. Let's do a podcast. It was actually something that just came to my mind um, during the pandemic because I, I saw a lot of my buddies, a lot of my friends and who are pro athletes or even like non-athletes start up their own podcast. And they just, you know, whether it was about sports or politics, you know, that's when I was like, hmm, I was like, you know what? I'm not doing much these days except just sitting at home, working from home and doing like two to three, you know, presentations a month. I was like, you know what? Why not just start a podcast? You know, why not just start it? And so, and that's what I did. So basically what the center podcast is, it's, you know, it's just a, it's just a talk show. It's just a talk show. And I bring people on and I talk about where they're from, their hometowns. Like, so it's like a talk show getting to know people better. And, you know, I, you know, I, I interviewed uh, Jay Billis the other day who works for ESPN, who also wrote a blurb for my book along with um, Nick Saban at Alabama. And just, sit, just sitting there talking with Jay for an hour and a half, just getting to know who he is outside of, you know, who he is on the TV and at ESPN. And it's just an incredible conversation. I've had some pretty good guests on lately, and it's something I want to continue for a while, you know. And then I, and I recently just started um, my own merchandise clothing, too. Um, you know, which if anybody wants to get a, get a couple t-shirts, merchandise, they can go to my website, anthonyiani.com and click on the merch page. Um, but yeah, like, but once I started after the first few episodes, I was like, I really like this. I really like this. And, you know, I got to thank, you may laugh at this. I got to give a shout out to Chris Jericho, you know, of AEW, the wrestler, because, you know, he has a, he has a podcast of his own. And once I started listening to it, I got really invested with how he talked to his guests and how he got to know his guests. And that's, that's where I got the idea from. I was like, okay, I want to do something based off of Chris Jericho's podcast. So he kind of gave me that inspiration to go and do it. But 
I've had a lot of fun doing it. And, you know, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, odyssey.com. So, and we're on YouTube as well, you know, at uh, the center podcast. So if anybody wants to check it out and support it, you know, I'd be grateful. Awesome. Who knew Chris Jericho who, was such a pioneer who in knew? the podcast world? Who knew, man? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Now you've, you've kind of been touching on this throughout the conversation, but I always like to ask people a question they wish they were asked more frequently. Sure. And for you, your question was, who is my inspiration in life? Mm -hmm. So tell us, who's your inspiration? It's, it's my father. Um, you know, because my dad, you know, my dad always has had a quote, um, you know, whenever he's taught to people that he's had two heroes in his life. Um, one is his late father, uh, my grandfather, who passed in 1995. Um, and then and then he said me. And that's the first time he said that to me is when I got really choked up and emotional because I was like, why am I your hero? Like, I, I'm your son, obviously. But why me? And I guess you know, I guess he told me because of everything I've been through in my life, um, all the doubters, all the bullying, all the obstacles and challenges that I had to go. I've had to overcome growing up with autism. But my dad has always inspired me because he was he was the one who always taught me to block out the noise that's around you. Because, you know, if you have something, if you have a task that needs, needs to get done, if you have a goal in mind, you have a dream in mind that you set for yourself, you can't worry about the outside noise. If you do, it's going to drive you crazy and you will fail. So he's always taught me to block out that outside noise, always believe in yourself, because if you don't believe in yourself in life, nobody else will. And he always taught me, too, that, you know, the harder you work, the more you earn. And that's always been his motto from day one. And that's always been mine, you know, ever since he taught me that. And you know, any chance I get, you know, to play 18 holes of golf with my dad whenever I get a chance is it's always a special moments like that for me because, you know, my dad is just and not just my dad, but my mom, too. I mean, they, they've done so much for me that I really don't know how I can repay them because of everything they've done and everything they sacrificed for me. But they could have easily said, you know, their expectations for me were always up here. But the day I was told my quote unquote, my future fate. They could have easily just thrown in the towel and be like, no, nah, like our kid has no chance. Because again, I told you in the beginning, there was no resources for autism. There was no path of guidance at the time. They didn't know what to do, but they found a way. And if there were days that I tested them, I pushed them, or there were days I had bad days, they still found a way. And so I guess you could say not only, you know, was my dad, my, one of my biggest inspirations, but both my parents, because of everything they did for me, they sacrificed for me. I'm not who I am today without them. And so I'm just, I'm just beyond grateful and blessed to have two incredible parents that I have. Yeah. It is amazing how supportive parents can, can really help just accomplish anything. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's so great. No question here. All right, Anthony, you're almost off the hook, but we always <laughs> like to end with a top three and for you, very fitting top three sports movies. Mm -hmm. Oh man. So I'm going to go from, uh, I'm going to go from one to three. So number one, uh, remember the Titans. I, I love Remember the Titans. I actually, I actually got to meet um, the real Herman Boone at one of our all HC meetings uh, five, six years ago. It was just awesome just to like pick his brain and just like talk about what it was like back then and what it's like now comparison. It was just awesome. Uh, number two would be Hoosiers. I love Gene Hackman in that movie. Um, and it also kind of reminds me of you know, my junior in high school when we went to the state championship game, but we lost, but we had our entire community follow us everywhere we go. So kind of, so Hoosiers reminds me of that, but Hoosiers always be my favorite. And number three is Rudy. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, especially from the Michigan State fan base, may look at me and go, why, why is that your top three? But 
again, like I've always loved, you know, Rudy's story of how, you know, like me, he dreamt of playing for Notre Dame as a kid, had a lot of challenges and obstacles to overcome to get to Notre Dame. And then to be able to play in Notre Dame Stadium for one of the most historical football programs of all time is, you know, and an, an, it's an underdog and inspirational story in itself. And I just admired it so much. And who knows, you know, I hope, you know, I get me, I hope the center of my book is the opportunity one day to be put on screen and that then we can start having debates of who had the best true underdog story. Was it Notre Dame or was it Michigan State? <laughs> so um, those are my top three right there. Remember the Titans, Hoosiers and Rudy. Excellent. When I, I when, when that happens, when your movie becomes, I, um, or when your book becomes a movie, I should say, well, I, I am happy to be an extra in the background. I've been told I'm very good at doing like background work and, and things just from years of uh, school projects and all that. So if you need someone that we'll can make that it, happen, boom, it'll be perfect. We'll make it happen. It'll be perfect. Awesome. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. If people want to learn more about you, check out your book, your podcast, all that good stuff. Where can they find you? So they can also find me uh, at uh, anthonyianni.com, which is my personal website as well as my business website. Um, so anthonyianni.com and hope to hear from you guys. Bam. Awesome. Well, Anthony, thank you again for taking the time to chat. Thank you, Joey. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We got to end with a corny joke, as we always do. <laughs> Let's why do it. is it a bad idea to play basketball in the jungle? Oh, man. Why is it a bad idea to play basketball in the jungle? Because it rains? Because <laughs> there's too many cheetahs. Get after it today, people. <laughs> Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.